good morning, everyone. If you would turn open to 1 Peter chapter 5. This is where we're going to spend our time in God's Word this morning. We'll be going through verses 1 through 4, so if you would follow along. <clears throat> Excuse me as I clear my throat. I might have to do that a few times. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father, we invite you again into our presence. We invite you into our hearts. Uh, show us, Lord, where we have maybe sought to keep you out, keep you at arm's distance, keep you away from us because we, we don't want to deal through some some things going on in our hearts. So we, we invite you, Holy Spirit, inhabit your people's hearts this morning. May we feel your comfort as our chief shepherd. We ask for that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I remember when, uh, when I was a teenager, began, I actually had the opportunity when I was 16 years old to preach for the first time. Some of you were there that night, and Lord, God bless you for that and all your encouragement. <laughs> Hopefully you don't remember anything. That would be helpful if you don't remember what I said. Uh, but it was a Sunday night service, 16 years old, got to preach to the church. And from that point on, everybody was, was very supportive, but also very um, opinionated. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a preacher. You know, I'd read through my Bible, and I'd come to 1 Timothy 3.1, and I'd read that, and, oh, it's noble to be an overseer. Oh, that's kind of cool. It's noble. Well, then just as you read on and you get to James chapter 3, verse 1, you find out that teachers have a stricter judgment than everybody else in the body of Christ. And that was the first point I said, well, maybe not. Maybe I don't want to <laughs> be a pastor because uh, I don't know what that means, that stricter judgment part. I don't know what that means. Uh, but yet, when God calls uh, pastors, when he calls elders, and this term that Peter uses here, elder, is it's... There were about four different terms in the original language in the first century church that meant the same thing. It meant pastor. It wasn't until the second century, Clement of Rome, uh, in the writings that he, we have from him, that there started to be a hierarchy in the way terms were used when bishop would come around. Bishop, elder, pastor, overseer, they all, which is presbyter, they all meant the same thing when Peter's writing this. So in essence, he's telling the, the ones that are charged to lead the church, do it this way. And we have uh, this morning some verses that I've, I've found encouraging in my years of pastoring. But the, the context of these verses still deals with that judgment. Because remember, let's back up a little bit. Verse 17 of chapter 4 in First Peter. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Remember, when Peter's writing, he's not saying, okay, uh, end of a chapter right here, let me start a new chapter. That came years and years later. 
He's just writing his flow of thought. So you know what he comes to first? If judgment's gonna begin with the household of God, it begins with the leaders. And when he brings the imagery of shepherding, of the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep, or many sheep, not a sheep, it's gotta be many, there's a, there's, there's a metaphor that he's tacking onto that's existed for centuries in the Bible that he knows the people who are reading his letter or listening to his letter being read, he knows they're gonna pick him immediately on what that means. They know that for, uh, for centuries in relationship with God and his people, God has chosen the image, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd to convey something about himself to his people. In Isaiah chapter 40, we have one of the, the coolest uh, encapsulated verses about God's greatness and his glory being revealed. And, and the prophet Isaiah is talking about how God holds everything in the hallow of his hand. This little part of your hand, when you cup it together, he holds the entire universe that we don't even know about right there. That's how big and great he is. But right before that verse, and he's measured everything with the, the span of his hand, he's measured the universe like that, he holds everything together, all of it is there. But right before, this is the verse that prophet Isaiah writes, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. That's a, that's a very tender God who holds everything in his hand and has absolute power and absolute authority over everything seen, unseen, and even known about. And Peter's, he's borrowing that analogy saying, look, Remember, God is a shepherd to his people. And then he's exhorting those who are the shepherds. We're going to see in a moment how God institutes under shepherds. We have the chief shepherd in Christ, and then there's under shepherds that are to, to resemble Christ in their care for God's people. But God desires the context of his care for people to be in the shepherding motif. But we need to know some things about sheep. I know a lot of people know a lot of things, and we know that sheep are not the smartest creatures on the planet. They are actually right under pigs in IQ. But good news, they're right above cattle. So we're not dealing with uh, really smart creatures here. Uh, sheep tend to want to be around other sheep. Uh, they're pretty much defenseless. They've got nothing but a bleeding, that's all I got. That's all that's happening. Interestingly, they're curious to the point of death. They're so curious that they'll walk over to the edge of a cliff and they'll see a berry and they just want the berry. They don't see the cliff and they go after the berry and then fall down the cliff. But the curiosity is the key when it comes to sheep. They are stubborn creatures, quickly frenzied. Something happens, they scatter. They're hard of hearing, nearsighted, can't really see well. They follow quickly. And usually all that means is they're waiting for another sheep to move. <laughs> Not knowing what they're doing. Now before you go thinking, that describes my child. <laughs> it describes every one of us. That's who we are. We're curious, we're stubborn, we're hard-headed, we're quickly frenzied in our mind. Oh, what am I supposed to do when this is happening and that's happening? What am I going to do? You know in that moment what you need? You need to hear the voice of the shepherd calling your name, but we get, we get fritzed out, don't know what to do. Sheep 
need shepherds to preserve their lives. The shepherds need to show them where to eat. They need to show them what to eat. And they need to protect them from being something to eat. Because <laughs> they'll wander off, and there's a lion. I don't, I don't know if wolves and lions just kind of sit on the edge and wait for the ones to come off. <laughs> I know one of them is going to venture over here soon enough, so I'm just going to pounce on that one. We need sheep, need shepherds. Uh, Timothy Whitmer in his book, The Shepherd Leader, says this about this shepherding metaphor. The shepherding metaphor is not only comprehensive with respect to the nature of the care received, but also with the respect to the extent. This is one important distinction between the metaphor of father and that of shepherd. Excuse me. <clears throat> Children grow up and become less dependent on their earthly fathers, though the relationship continues. Sheep, on the other hand, are always completely dependent on their shepherd. They never outgrow their need for the shepherd to care for them, feed them, lead them, and protect them. The shepherd cares for the newborn lambs and is still there when the sheep grow old and weak. Therefore, the imagery of shepherd sheep captures the comprehensive sovereignty of the shepherd over the sheep and the need for the sheep to yield completely to his care. The good news is that the Lord uses his sovereign power for the well-being of his flock. Peter is using this metaphor to get elders, to get the under-shepherds, the pastors, to realize, remember what you're doing, remember why you're doing it, and then he's going to give them an understanding, this is how you do it. Remember to not fall into temptation, but ultimately, this is about blessing. Shepherding is about blessing God's people. And shepherding is to be a blessed thing. It's to bless the shepherds as well as to bless the sheep. It goes both ways. Uh, but God's care in that, God wants his people to be cared for, to be well-fed, to be led effectively, and to be protected. And he does that in the context of supplying shepherds for his flock. Now, as we go through, uh, as, as Peter's borrowing this metaphor, we also, we're going to take a step back and just kind of do a, a quick biblical theology on shepherding in the Bible. Uh, just so you understand, biblical theology is kind of looking at the trail of something as it starts in the beginning of the Bible and goes all the way through. Whereas systematic theology is taking a topic and seeing what the Bible has to say about that speaks to the topic. So just so you follow the, the difference in the term theology there. But we have to go back to Genesis. Because that's where we start with the biblical theology of shepherding and, shep and sheep. And that would be with Abraham. Abraham grew rich through what? Sheep. God was blessing him, but God's also starting a story with that. Uh, we don't, I think we have enough in scripture to know that Abraham wasn't a shepherd before God called his name and said, go to the place I'm going to show you. But as he's journeying on there, he becomes a shepherd. He's got all this livestock and so much so that he and his nephew Lot have to separate because they've got just too much. They can't, they, there's not enough places to feed, not enough places to drink. People are, the sheep are getting all weirded out, frenzied because they don't have enough. So they split, separate. But God uses sheep to bless through Abraham. And then we get to Moses. You remember what Moses was doing when he turned aside to see the burning bush? Shepherding Jethro, his father-in-law, shepherding Jethro's flock. He's a shepherd. He's got a staff. He goes over and he looks at the burning bush. And I think because shepherds use their staff for everything. Uh, I was reading this week that when uh, from the time that a shepherd, a teenage boy, was thinking of becoming a shepherd, that's when they would uh, carve out their staff 
and they would actually fit perfectly with their hand. They would hold it in the same spot all the time, and they would use it for everything. They're using it to, to pull the sheep over, and uh, with the crook, the hook part, they would actually, um, I learned this, they didn't, shepherds don't usually carry a lamb or a sheep, because when they give the lamb back to the mother, that mother would reject the lamb because it doesn't smell like her. It smells like the shepherd. So that's where they use that, and they pick them up and put them over back by the mom. So they, they, they wouldn't actually break legs, shattered all a bunch of analogies that I used to use in preaching. They wouldn't do that because the staff, they wanted to be a comfort. Now, there was a prodding and a poking, the rod and the staff comfort through, no, 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 get over here. But they would use it to check the wool of the lamb. And I think Moses, when he saw that bush, he poked that bush with the staff. And then he starts hearing something. I think he backs off. Because they can use that, poking at it. But Moses is a shepherd. Here he grows up in Egypt, son of Pharaoh, goes to Midian, lives there for 40 years, learns to be a shepherd. God using something because he's looking to declare who he is to his people and calling Moses to then lead his people. And remember he uses that staff in front of Pharaoh, throw it down, becomes a snake, pick it back up, Dip the staff in the Nile, it becomes blood. The staffs, God's using something. There's a symbol there. But what we learn is, is there's a shepherd prophet that Moses is revealing. Through his life then, now shepherding God's people. Now we know that Moses was not perfect. He, uh, the second time the people of Israel are crying out for water, they're whining and complaining because they don't have anything to drink. God says, This time, instead of hit the rock, the first time it was hit the rock. So he struck the rock with his staff and water flowed out. This time he says, speak to the rock. Moses doesn't do that because he was just irritated and angry with the people. And I think pride came up in his own heart that he said, I'm going to do this. Boom, he strikes the rock and God says, wrong. And God actually judges him in that moment for his faithlessness. So we wonder, Moses, did you believe that if you spoke to it, it would come out? Or since you did it before like this, you had to do it again like that. We don't know what's going on there, but we know that God is judging his faithlessness as a shepherd to his people, to God's people. And we know the stories of when then Moses is turning around also, he's saying to God, God, remember who you are to your people. You're their shepherd. Don't throw them aside. Even when God's promising Moses, I'm going to make you a great nation, he says, no, 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 I don't want a great nation. These are your people. This is your fame on the line, and God, I want your glory to be what the Egyptians see, to be what the world sees. I don't want them saying, oh, it was a great God, deliver them out of Egypt, and then killed them. So Moses, he's, he's growing and understanding what a shepherd does, but through that process, his, God's people are seeing a shepherd prophet, one that's gonna reveal the word, one that's gonna speak the word. And when Moses is there and he's judging, there's a role of a shepherd that's judging also, and Jethro comes in and says, hey man, these, you're wearing yourself out. Having, having to do this all day long, you got to find other elders, other shepherds to help you in this task. And so then he finds the 70, they go out and find others. So you're talking about thousands of, of men that were used to shepherd the flock of God during that time as they're revealing God's word. Then we get to the judges of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, 7, we find out that the judges, God rose up judges in order to be shepherds to his people. But we also know from the book of Judges that, and the history of Israel that everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king. 
And then we go, Samuel's the last judge. And then all of a sudden, the people are crying out for a king. We need a king. We need a king like the other nations. Help us out. And Samuel says, why are you sinning against God like this? He's your shepherd. God's saying to Samuel, it's all right. I knew this was going to happen. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But I've supplied because I'm building something. I want them to see that a shepherd is also a king. And a king is to be a shepherd. And then we get to David. And God calling, you know, where's Samuel's going through all of Jesse's sons? One's missing. Where's he at? tending to the flock. So we have this going on all through. Uh, David trained to fight uh, the lion and the bear, probably with his staff. Uses that with Saul, saying, hey, I'll go against Goliath because I've killed lion and bear protecting the flock. This guy knew how to be a shepherd. He was legit when it came to shepherding, and even lions didn't have a say-so in how he was going to protect his flock and how he was going to lead them. He was all about it, and he was saying, this is my territory, I got it, we're good. Well, that's who God calls to be a shepherd to his people. And we see in David a shepherd king. We see one that God declares of himself, I'm looking for somebody that's going to follow me from their heart. And he finds that in David, and he says, ah, oh, David, I'm going to bless that I'm making a covenant with, and your covenant's going to be everlasting. But we know David, he's not a perfect man. Um, he got a bunch of faults, but the one that we know about the best is when he kills Uriah because he's made Uriah's wife pregnant. Do you remember when Nathan comes to David and the, the analogy that Nathan uses with David? That of a lamb, somebody coming in and taking a lamb, killing it. What does David say? That man needs to die and the lamb that needs to be, uh, needs to be paid back fourfold. Nathan, you're the man. You know what Nathan was showing him? You treat a lamb better than you treat God's sheep. You've killed God's sheep. You've, you've done what you wanted to do with them, but yet you're going to treat a lamb better than that. David, knowing the shepherd that God was to him, he writes Psalm 23 out of the experience of his own heart as God, as his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's David writing that. He knows something of God as shepherd, yet he failed in particular ways in giving that to God's people and giving that care and that love there. But we see in David a shepherd king who rules in love for God and love for God's people. But when it comes down to it, the rest of the kings did not do so well. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34 is the prophet giving um, some harsh words to the kings, to those that were to be those shepherd kings, ruling in grace and love and leading and protecting and feeding the flock in order to point them to God. That was the role of a shepherd then, role of a shepherd today. But listen to what Ezekiel says to them. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. What's he describing? This is an indictment to say these shepherds have been just feeding themselves. They've been killing off the sheep, eating them instead of feeding and nourishing the flock that's been in their care. Verse 4, the weak you have slaughtered. 
The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. The shepherds have scattered and there's no shepherd to go and corral them back and get them back to, to give that call that all the sheep know the voice and they begin to rally back from all the places they've scattered. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there is no sh- was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for the sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of the clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will gather them from their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in the good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. God is saying, I will be their shepherd. Look down to verse 24. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Ezekiel wrote this way after David. But what's Ezekiel pointing to? He's pointing to one one shepherd, one king that is coming. He's using that shepherd king motif to say one's coming and he'll be the chief shepherd. And he'd make a covenant of peace. Verse 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they will dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall, shall yield their fruit, and the, the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land. Why? Because God is the Lord. He will bring the one, the peaceful sheep, the one that doesn't, a peaceful shepherd, the one that doesn't scatter, the one that draws everybody together. For what? For the experience of God's presence, for the experience of God's feeding of his people, which is what a shepherd should have been doing, wasn't doing, but then is our job description today. As we move on into the New Testament, we find Jesus, who is, he's the one that Ezekiel was pointing to. There's going to be one coming from the line of David. Even uh, Jeremiah speaks of the same thing. Micah speaks of the same thing, of, of somebody coming from the line of David who will be that shepherd. And they're all pointing to Jesus. Chap- John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. Jesus declaring himself, I'm the one. This is one of those statements that the Pharisees got really irritated by because all the Pharisees are looking, who's going to be the Messiah? When's he coming? What's he going to look like? How's it going to happen? And Jesus is standing there saying with his I am statements, I am. 
I am. And they got irritated every single time. Now he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. The one that caused all this nonsense to begin with, and you have an occupation, all that stuff. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that's being pointed to. I'm the one that all this is culminating in and culminating through. But Jesus makes an interesting, he's the long-awaited shepherd for God's people, but he actually makes an interesting um, change to his role as a shepherd because he tells them, I'm the good shepherd, and I'm going to lay down my life for the sheep. This this was unusual for them to hear because a shepherd was a lifelong thing. And here Jesus is saying that he's going to die. So as we know this, we know that Jesus is, he is securing God's flock through his death. And he's going to be the exalted shepherd in heaven who is the one with authority, but he's going to install under shepherds. And we find that in Matthew chapter 9. If you can get there quickly, if not, you can just listen. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is looking at the people that are about him. And he makes a very interesting uh, statement in verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, preaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What is he doing? He's shepherding. He's going to find them, synagogue to synagogue. He's calling out to God's people. He's calling out to them and bringing them back, and the ones that are his hear his voice. He brings them, and what is he doing? He's healing them. He's touching them. Healing every disease, healing every affliction. That's what a shepherd he's been doing. He's revealing himself. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, let me rescue our minds from making this only an evangelism verse. For, hey, we need to go out and get people saved. That's part of this. But you know what the emphasis here is? We have to look at the context of that. God, Jesus is looking to care for his people. And he's asking for laborers to care for his people. Because look what happens next, chapter 10. Remember, when Matthew's writing this, he's not cutting off a thought and then beginning chapter 10. He's flowing in his thoughts. So sometimes we've got to look in the next chapter to find out what's going on. In verse 1 of chapter 10, and he called to them his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. He's commissioning them. Here, we have people. They need to be cared for. I'm the one that's going to care for them, but he knows I'm, I'm dying. I'm going to be exalted in heaven. You need to pray for laborers. Laborers to care for the flock of God because the harvest is plentiful. He's calling out, and whoever are his, hear his voice and respond. And there are those that need to care for those people, and he commissions his own disciples. You are the ones. Giving them authority. This is what, remember, this is what Peter's remembering all of this when he's writing to the elders as a fellow elder. Shepherd the flock. Remember, it's Jesus. He's the one that's doing this. He's the one calling people to himself, and he wants to make sure that they're going to be cared for, because in John chapter 10, verse 16, he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There's an advancement that's happening, and as we read on into the New Testament, we find out that the apostles are the under-shepherds, and what are they doing? They establish a New Testament pattern that looks for other under-shepherds. Wherever Paul went, he's establishing elders in the town that he's in. He's establishing shepherds. He commissions Timothy and Titus to do the same thing. Make sure before you leave 
Shepherds are in place to care for my people because I want to bless them. I want to bless them by shepherding, by tending to them, by feeding them. And Peter, tacking on to that commissioning of the shepherds, I think Peter has in his mind how he was commissioned as a shepherd. He's reminding the shepherds, elders, that he's a, he's, he wants them to be aware of God's, of Jesus commissioning of them. But Peter pulls from his own experience when he says, I'm a witness of what? Of the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter could have done a, a several different things to appeal to the elders he's writing to. He could have said, look, I'm an apostle, so you have to do this. He didn't do that. Fellow elder, he says. He says, look, I'm a fellow elder, and I'm, I, I've been a witness of the transfiguration. I've been a witness of the empty tomb. I've been a witness of the resurrected Christ himself, shepherd the flock of God. He doesn't do that. What's he saying? A witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, he's keeping the theme of the whole letter. Look, as God's people, you're going to encounter suffering. Pastors, you're going to encounter suffering. Do well, because Jesus did well. And he, he then says, I'm a partaker in what's going to be revealed. Reminding us all why we're here. We're to live in a way glorifying God, experience his greatness for the day in heaven that we get to experience his great, greatness, overflowing, immeasurable, on and on and on and on and on forever. He's tapping into that again and again. But when he, he says this witness, I think what he has in his mind, in his commissioning, was, was the darkest period of his of his life when he's the one Peter's the one that's championing loyalty all through Jesus' ministry Peter's the one that speaks up when Jesus says who do people say that I am and then who do you say that I am Peter's the one that said you're the Christ and he said blessed are you Simon Barjona because God revealed this to you the Father revealed that to you so he's, he's but he's pledging his loyalty the whole time and then when Jesus says I'm going to suffer he takes him aside look Jesus no 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 you're not going to suffer. You can't do that. So he says, get behind me, Satan. You just call me Simon. No, not Satan. Simon It's who I am. Jesus and, si and Peter have this weird relationship, but Peter thinks he's more than he is, basically. I'm really, really loyal to you. Even if they all fall away, I won't fall away. Jesus before, or Peter, Jesus saying to Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, no, it won't happen. No way. And I think really in his mind, he never thought he would do that. But yet, he follows Jesus. Sheep scatter. All the disciples scatter when Jesus is arrested. But Peter follows behind to his credit. He still wants to be around. But then these servant girls are saying, hey, you were with him. No, 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 absolutely not. It's calling curses down on himself, literally cursing. I wonder if Jesus heard that. I wonder if he was wondering if Jesus heard that. But he hears the rooster Jesus turns around and looks at him, and in that moment, he realizes, I have failed the one I love. I have failed him. Runs out, weeps bitterly. And then in John chapter 21, we, we see that he doesn't know what else to do, so he goes back to what he was used to, and that was fishing. So he goes back to fishing, and Jesus is on the land. He calls him over, and they knew what was going on because he said, okay, put your nets on the other side of the boat. That's how you catch the fish, at my word. So there's a bunch of analogies in there, too. So they go back. They don't even ask him who he is because they understand this is Jesus. And Jesus has an intimate moment, an intensely intimate moment with Peter. Peter, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I love you. 
What's Jesus' response? Tend my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Three times he's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me? And I don't know, I don't, man, I, I wonder what happened to Peter in that moment because he's trying, how do you convince Jesus of something? That's why he's saying, Lord, you know. You're the one who told me I was going to deny you. Of course you know. But Lord, I want you to be more in tune with my love for you than my lack of, of loyalty. I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying to him. I know you love me. I know you do. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. We have, the, we have two characteristics there. But, but Peter's introducing something. I think he's going after a motivation of humility, to be like Christ as shepherds. But he's also introducing an element of weakness. Peter understands that he's a weak man. He doesn't have everything together. He, he said that even after uh, you have the day of Pentecost where he gets up and preaches to everybody. But then later on he goes into a town and he's hanging out with people and not hanging out with other people. And Paul has to come in and say, look, man, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can't be just hanging out with them. You've got to hang out with everybody. He falls into the fear of man. So he's not perfect. So he's, I think he's reminding two ways. I think he's reminding pastors, remember, you're weak. And he's also reminding the church, remember, pastors are weak. Pastors have a particular call. But that call is not, there's a call and there's a grace that comes with shepherding, with pastoring. But it's, it doesn't make life easy for us. And I would equate it to you this way. Some of you are teachers. And you are phenomenal teachers. I know that I could never, ever be a teacher. You have a grace on you to be a teacher that I don't have. It would be inaccurate of me to say, you're a great teacher. You don't have any bad kids. Because that doesn't happen. You have to work at it. You have to make sure those bad kids are in line. But I've talked to enough teachers that say, I'm just glad that kid's out of my class. <laughs> that was a long year. That nine months really did feel like 12. But when, when we think about pastoring, we think about shepherding, please don't misunderstand. Don't, don't equate um, stability. Now, leaders in the church, we find this in the New Testament, leaders are supposed to have stable lives. Uh, emotional stability, uh, financial stability. There, there's stability, that there's personal characteristic stability. That's supposed to be there. But stability doesn't equal lack of fires in our lives. We have trials. And we have sometimes very severe trials. But so we can all understand it's, well, I have to understand that we're just not perfect. Some of you understand more than others. As you get closer to us, you understand you aren't perfect. I can see that now. <laughs> uh, we're imperfect. We have imperfect families. And you know what? We get sick too. Yesterday, this is just weird. I've come to realize that whenever I'm asked to preach, I have to figure out what, it, what is that that I'm being asked to preach about because we know, we've come to understand that we're inviting all of these trials about that subject so we can have examples when we're preaching. <laughs> so I'm very careful now. Okay, what's the passage? What am I asking for? Am I preaching this? So I thought, man, this is a safe one. This is about chief shepherds, shepherding. This is cool. Until... I wake up yesterday, and I had 
uh, back pain that I haven't had since before my back surgery several years ago. Literally, I'm walking around like this. So we, we had plans, go to, the, uh, go to the aquarium, which we did, and, and I'm just hurting. Every time I get up, I'm hurting. Every time I'm moving around, I'm hurting. I'm just, what is going on? So Kathy and I are trying to figure out. She's asking me, what did you do? And that was my thing. I didn't do anything on Friday. I sat down all day preparing this. That's all I did. Didn't exercise. She's asking, is the exercise routine? No, I don't think so. But then I just realized, just an attack. Flat out, just an attack. I know Sunday morning I'm going to be fine. You know what? I'm fine today. But here's the thing. You know, how I got to, you know who got to bear the brunt of that fiery trial for me? My children. Because as we're walking around and they want to hang on dad, it was hurting my back. And so I got irritated and I asked everybody very publicly, please stop hanging on me, please was unnecessary because I see what it happens I got a bunch of girls and I see the faces and all of a sudden in their eyes I can see I've just been rejected by my daddy and I'm going oh man why did I do that so we're, we're imperfect we go through trials we get sick it's our families that have to bear the, the brunt of that most of the time but we have fires in our lives and as shepherds we need to shepherd one another. And I'm grateful that that does happen, that we have relationships as a pastoral team, that we do shepherd one another very well. I have to add Matt Mason to that category. What we miss most about him is the shepherding aspect of him pursuing us and us pursuing him and just being friends and being able to, to, to move forward in the shepherding of one another uh, in that. Uh, Peter is telling the elders, shepherd the flock that is among you. There's ones that God just places around you and he says, shepherd these. And as you're shepherding them, the two things that he's bringing in there is feed and tend. It's that, that word, uh, he uses actually the same phrase as Jesus used with him. In the shepherd, the flock, it's the same phrase Jesus used with him with tend the flock, tend my sheep. Same exact phrase. That's why we know that Peter's connecting these things in his mind. There's a feeding that happens where it's a nourishment through teaching, through preaching, through vision, through leadership. And there's a tending, there's a protection of the church that shepherds are commissioned with. They have a right and a responsibility to protect from outside the church and also protect from within the church. Because we know that sometimes it doesn't go well within the church as well. Uh, with, with people, relationship issues, with in, in impure motives that are going on. But as shepherds are commissioned to do this tend and feed... There's a twofold aspect, and I would describe it this way. Uh, we have as pastors an eye on individual sheep that we're in proximity to care for, and we also have the other eye on the entire flock. And we have to do it that way because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd's understanding, you know, if there's a, um, there's a sheep that comes over and says, hey, shepherd, can I go over and eat that berry? It's just right there. Just can, go, can I go right there? The shepherd in one, one way is saying, well, for you, that's fine because it won't give you diarrhea like the other five people that gave, the other five sheep it gave diarrhea to, and that was a mess, and I had to clean it all up. So, but in that moment, the shepherd's pausing, and the sheep can get real irritated with that pause, huh? What's going on? What's the pause? 
Well, the shepherd's thinking two things. One, yeah, that's okay for you. What does it mean for the entire flock? But it's like, I've got an eye on you and I have an eye on the entire flock. There's a, there's a smallness and a big category to how pastoring takes place in a church, especially a church our size. We're blessed to have this church. Let me say this at the outset too. You're a blessing. Flat out, you are a blessing as a church. So when we get to the manner in which I'm going to describe, it's, it's easy to pastor you in, in, for the, in every category, basically, because you are you're a blessing to God. But there, in our, in our staff meetings, a lot of you all know that we joke about our staff meetings on Tuesdays because they can be from anywhere from uh, 3 to 16 hours long. <laughs> really, it's around 6 to 8 um, be more accurate. But in, in those meetings, you know what's taking place? That small, how do we care for this individual sheep? And then the large, how do we care for the body here at Lakeview? How do we care for the flock? And what is, what is saying yes to this sheep mean for the entire flock? Can we repeat this? Roger Goodell is going to have a very hard time implementing the same rule and punishment he, he laid down on Sean Payton. You know why I can think that way? Because that's what we do all the time. What does it mean for us as a whole? What does it mean for the direction we're going? What does it mean if we, if we treat everybody individually? In some instances, we end up creating more confusion than we do saying, what is the benefit for the flock? And sometimes a sheep needs to be told no to a berry to serve the other ones. But this is, there, there's a tension in that. And if you could hear the, some of the conversations we have uh, going back and forth, because for, even for me, I'm offering an opinion to care for the sheep. And I, I'm championing the sheep. Well, what about this? And, and we got to think about this. Just, just have compassion. Come on. We have to do this. And then an hour later, when we're still talking about it, I'm going, you know, we, we have to think about the entire flock. We have to think about what's this mean for the church and how is this... So you know what that means for you? Sometimes you don't get an answer when you want. We just need to understand that there's more happening as we're looking to love sheep and love the entire flock that we have charged to care for and to be with. There's a blessing in shepherding. There's also a blessing in oversight. Peter's exhorting the elders to exercise oversight, which implies they have authority to do that. Under shepherds are given the authority from Jesus to govern the local flock. They're given the authority to teach, to preach, to lead, to care, to protect. But all authority in a shepherd of, of shepherding the church is derived from Jesus. And a shepherd should never call for obedience to himself. The shepherd's responsibility is always to call obedience to Christ. Always, always, always. In our culture, we have a, a, a shift from authority. That's, it started, uh, I, I personally think, just being a student of history and thinking things through. I think it started in the late 60s with the, the, the champion, don't just question authority, destroy authority. George Carlin said that in the late 60s. Do you question authority? He said, no, I, just, I want to destroy authority. But those are seeds. Those are seeds that are planted and they begin to, to germinate and they, they end up with PR slogans that tell you that your personal choice is more important than conformity to a group. Choose your own PR slogan. Because they're all over the place. The advertising slogans are all over the place telling you your 
you're an individual, and your individualism needs to be championed. That's what, this, that's what your world is about. It's about you, and it's about you having the choices that you want. And even at Burger King, you get to choose how much ice you want in your cup. That's how much right you have. Thanks. Ice. Thank you. But it's a seed. It's a seed that gets planted in us, and over time, it matters. Time Magazine this past week had an issue. Uh, the, the front page is 10 ideas that are changing your life. And number one, the idea that's changing America's life is living solo, living alone. And in that, the guy that wrote the article, Eric Klinenberg, said this, living alone helps us pursue sacred modern values, individual freedom, personal control, and self-realization. That's the culture we live in. And if we're not careful, if we're not understanding what's coming through, we'll find that we're just questioning authority in every aspect of our lives, questioning it in the marriage context, questioning it in the church, questioning it with bosses, questioning it in school, just questioning authority all over the place. Why am I doing that? Because I, I want to decide how much ice is in my cup. That's what I want to do. I just want the personal control. Now, that self-realization can get lost in something. I would say self-realization is this. It's Popeye the sailor man saying this. I am what I am. Who else said that? God said that. I am who I am. He told it to the one that was going to go save his people and shepherd his flock for him. I am who I am. We have to be very careful in our culture to understand that the autonomy that the culture is saying pursue is really just saying be your own God. That's what you get to do. But those, those have serious ramifications in the life of a church, in the flock of God, when we're called to be together and live life toward one another. Timothy Whitmer also says this in The Shepherd Leader. The, t- the deterioration of respect for authority in culture has its, roots not, has its roots in a failure to respect the sovereign lordship of the ultimate authority, the living God who is the shepherd and authority of all of life. Though we pay great lip service to faith in God, the bottom line of our culture is not the Lord is my shepherd, but I am my own shepherd. Respect for the authority of the word of the shepherd results in clear moral boundaries within which the sheep will be safe and secure. The sheep must look to the shepherd to delineate the bounds of the green pastures and still waters. It is to these standards that the shepherd elder must personally be personally loyal and with which the elders must feed the sheep. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that has denied the authority of the shepherd and the moral fences he has established. With the erosion of respect for the authority of the shepherd, it is no surprise that respect for the authority, respect for authority is generally diminished, whether in government, family, or the church. He picks out something there that, that I think is very interesting. The sheep must look to the shepherd to delineate the bounds of the green pastures and still waters. And he calls them moral fences. Shepherding requires boundaries. It, it requires putting up parameters, putting up fences. Now, everybody in our culture wants to destroy a fence. But what you have to understand, before you go destroying a fence, please ask why it was put there in the first place. Why is the fence there? It matters of the church. It can be very easy to, you're thinking through something and it makes perfect sense in your mind and you're bringing it to us and for our attention and we're listening and the moment that we try to give you, well, let me tell you why the fence was there in the first place, it seems like, well, you're not listening to me. Why aren't you listening to me? 
because we need eye on the sheep, eye on the flock. We've been through a lot of different circumstances. And let me see, you have a great idea. Let me just give you some other details. Now, please, here's the difficult part. To give other details for us means that sometimes we can't give details. Because we know people's junk. We got junk. We know other people's junk. And sometimes in particular situations, you might not get an answer from us. or might not get an answer that you prefer. Because it means throwing somebody else under the bus. We're not going to do that. We're protecting the sheep. We're not going to, so in some circumstances, it means, look, the fence is there. You're just going to have to understand that the fence is there. We have reasons for it. But to go into those reasons would actually be gossip or it would be exposing somebody else in a way that we're uncomfortable with because we want to protect and care for them just like we want to protect and care for you. Uh, and those, that's a very generalization. So please don't take those generalizations and get real specific until we've had time to talk. <laughs> But there, uh, what, we, what we all want is boundaries. You ever played a board game with somebody that all of a sudden, oh, I forgot a rule. I forgot this is a rule. How do you respond to that person? Well, I'm going to punch you in the neck. You come up with another rule like that? <laughs> Card games, notorious for that. Oh, I forgot to tell you this rule. Yeah, you told us after you just did it. Thank you very much for keeping that in your back pocket. <laughs> all of us want rules because why? We want to know where's the board game? Where, what's the playing field? You can't just arbitrarily say, oh, we're going to just, for this game, we're going to take the, I want the boundaries to be this far. And no, I want the boundaries to be this far. Somebody's got to come in and say, here's the boundaries. And for the church, the shepherds do that. The shepherds build a fence when it comes to identifying the flock. I think there's three fences, uh, primary fences that we're, gonna, uh, that we're seeking to do. And there's others that, that wisdom dictates. But first, for our understanding is shepherds are called to identify the flock of God. We need to know who we're caring for. We need to know who's out there and are you saved? Do you have a correct understanding, a proper, a saving understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why we ask for testimonies during the baptism process, during the, the new members process, because we're commissioned. Is the gospel being, is it being understood? Is it being believed? We want, we want to make sure that's happening. But it, there's also a responsibility for the sheep to say, hey, I'm one of you. I'm in your flock. And that's why the new members class is done. It's not just a formal thing so you can show up at members-only meetings every now and then. It's, no, I, I want to be cared for. And signing a church covenant, and what's going to be described during that process, a lot of you understand what that is, signing a church covenant and saying, I'm a, I'm a part of this flock. I want to be blessed by the oversight that the, the pastoral team will give. I want to be blessed by living life in this church, in this local context of the flock of God. So some of you may have been coming here for years and you've never gone through a new members process. We don't know how to respond to you. We want to protect because we don't know where our boundary is. If, if we think, hey, you might be under attack in some way. We want to be able to say, look, you've, you've said we want to, you want us to play a role in your life. We're playing that role right now. Get over here. Come on. Let's either clarify. Let's get uh, understanding about something. And it also means that as a sheep, you are able to follow shepherds, not just preachers. Because sheep are not called just to follow preachers. Because you can get into a mode, uh, all of us can get into this mode where we are, we're listening to a bunch of preaching during the week. And it, it, it can be very tempting to say, you know what, I'm, either I'm really tired on a Sunday morning or I'm really, uh, it's raining. You know, I've just, I've listened to a bunch of preaching this week. I'm cool. I'm good. I don't need to go to church today. 
that's evidence of, no, I'm just kind of listening to preachers and I'm being led by preachers and I'm not being led by a pastor because in this church, what we do is we labor intensely in prayer and in preparation and in study to say, Lord, what is your word for this church? And we want everybody who comes to church here and calls this church their church, we want you here every single week. Why? So you can get God's word in this moment. That will be very different than something somebody's saying. You're going to benefit. I listen to preaching. You're going to benefit from that. But there's, there's a particular grace that we get to experience as the flock of God that happens right here and no place else. It doesn't quite happen the same way even if you listen. Now watch this video when you're not here. It's different. We want to be together to follow shepherds to hear the voice of the chief shepherd. There's another fence of doctrinal protection. We as a church want to say, here's where... Here's where we are convinced from Scripture we need to be living our lives. We know that there are some preachers in the Christian realm that really are getting some Scriptures off. And taking one Scripture and not looking at the rest of the Bible and how it's speaking to that Scripture. And we have concerns about those things. We have concerns about what we, what we would be listening to. If you find that you listen to preachers and you come here on a Sunday morning and everybody agrees... We need some discernment. Because where we're going to knife ourselves in <laughs> is to say gospel clarification is the most important. We want to be preaching the same gospel, responding to the same gospel. Listen, there are different gospels out there that we need to have discernment of. You need discernment personally. When you listen to something, I can listen... I'm just, well, about four or five guys just popped in my head. I've listened to them time and time again, and I just find nothing that I can say. My heart's joined with you. It's just not there. Does that happen for you? Do you know the voice? Do you know the word being proclaimed well enough? Do you know the Bible well enough to know that when somebody's preaching something weird or writing something weird, that you're able to say, hold on a second. And many of you have done that. But that happens, I mean, when you pick up a book, when, you're, when it's recommended to you, well, so-and-so, I mean, and, and she just really loves God, and so I read it, and it's, it's just great. I'm glad whoever referenced that loves God a lot. But are you exercising discernment? Are you knowing the word? Are you hearing the voice of your shepherd well enough? Now, the, cur- the church is called to make sure that we have doctrinal boundaries that are not law. You're not, this is not saying, hey, if you, if you uh, read that book, you're going to hell. We're not saying that. We don't have all the books in our bookstore that you'd find in a Christian bookstore on purpose. Because these are the ones that we've said these would be most beneficial for you. What happens if you read another one? You're not going to hell. Look, you're laughing, but sometimes we, we, there's word going around. There's this approved book list. There's a recommended book list that's different. We want to recommend books that we've benefited from, that we can say our hearts are joined together in this, let's be blessed. We can do that. Exercise discernment. It might be that you have to read that book and go back to your friend and say, you know what? I have a concern about this book. There were some things that I took out of it. Yeah, I can, I can use that. That was helpful. It was encouraging. But these other things I'm just kind of confused about. Let's look at the Bible together. It could be that you need to be used in that way 
for somebody else. Now, the third fence would be that fence of holiness. Shepherds are to set a standard for conformity to Christ in holiness, to help others grow in it, to give clarification in matters of holiness, to give wisdom, to give wisdom pertaining to holiness. We, we as pastors don't want to set up another Ten Commandments. We're looking to give wisdom for how the Bible says we're to live life. It's very different than establishing it as a law to say you're not accepted here unless you do this. Not going to happen. All right, let me go through manner of oversight. The manner of oversight that Peter is admonishing the shepherds is to do it not under compulsion but willingly. There is, there's, a, there's a compulsion that comes with pastoring. And sometimes it happens to where we, again, we're not perfect, we might be tired. And Peter's encouraging, hey, make sure that you're not letting weariness influence your willing participation to care for others. And so this is a help for us to always say, it's, I don't ever want to be found saying, I should go visit this person in the hospital or I should go to this person's funeral. It's all the time. I want to go. I want to go. I want to be a blessing. And there's a weight that we carry. It's a burden of people. We carry you in, in very deep ways that you can ask our wives. We'll come home uh, many times on a Tuesday where we've learned something that is just disheartening. Our wives know it immediately when we walk in the door. Not that they're asking all the details and stuff. They're just saying, tough day, huh? Yeah. Just heard some disheartening news. We get woken up in the middle of the night with you on our minds. And we're praying. But there's a weight that we carry. And that weight, we, we want to be able to communicate. It's not, it's not a weight that's a compulsory, oh, man, here I go, got to do it. Peter's saying, make sure it's willing. It's willing on our part because it's a blessing to bless you. Willingness is to be a free decision in caring for the flock. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The shameful gain there, uh, back originally written, was for money. Not, not a shameful gain, shameful gain for money, but make sure you're doing it out of an eagerness, a mind set to do the work and not skim off things, not do it for uh, personal reasons and personal pursuits. And money makes everybody weird. It just does. Makes everybody weird. A shepherd, we learn First Timothy five. A shepherd is supposed to be paid according to the work done, and and according to make a good repay. But it never should be the motivation of a pastor. Back when George Mueller, uh, one of my heroes of the faith, when he was going through seminary, wasn't even a believer, was going through seminary because the two greatest occupations in the eighteen hundreds were that of a lawyer and a preacher. That's where he got paid the most. Different category. We don't want, but we, we don't want to make, we want to make sure that we're not looking at um, vows of poverty. I didn't sign up for a vow of poverty. Now I am well supplied. Well supplied. But it can be very, it can be challenging as you look at money because it makes us all do weird things. It can be challenging tonight. So going through the financial report. What, 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 what was that? Um, I've got some questions. I need some answers. You might not need answers. But when our heart is right, we can be okay. Hey, what's happening with this? But I also, for pastors, I think for us, it, a shameful gain can be in the area of reputation. We can easily slip into, I want to be well thought of as a preacher. I want to be well thought of as a pastor. I want to be well thought of in the community. I want to be well thought of in other pastors' minds. It's a temptation, but we, we want to stay true 
to Christ. We want to be eager to see, the, to see Jesus manifested in the hearts of his sheep. Not domineering over those in your charge, but examples. Authority that's not centered in the person or office or title, but an authority that's centered in Christ. Being examples to the flock in two areas, submission and obedience. We want to be examples of submission and obedience. We want to be examples in growth in Christ. I have had the privilege, the distinct privilege, of sitting under Keith and Peter's teaching for nearly 20 years. Do you know why it's still a blessing? Because they still grow. And they still love God, and they still love me, and we're growing. And I feed off of that. It has been a joy because they're still growing and they're still, they're still understanding of their own weaknesses and how to walk through that and how to make sure things are happening well. Why? For the sake of you. For the sake of the flock of God. Now here's the fun part, the best part, the manifestation of Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter's talking about a reward. And that reward happens when we look at Christ and we say, you're coming back. And so I can endure today because of that day. I can endure today and I can get my mind right in order to do it right because you're coming back. But there's a twofold, twofold aspect of that reward. The reward is a now and it's a not yet. There's a not yet component that when we get to heaven, we will be lavished and, and well praised by Jesus himself for our obedience. It blows my mind to even think about that. But there's a now component that we get to be rewarded in in watching you grow, in watching Christ exalted in your life. We love stories of healings. We love stories of sharing the gospel with people. We love stories of reconciliation. We love stories of restoration. We love these stories. Why? Not because, all right, they're getting my preaching. Yes! No, it's because Jesus is being highlighted. Jesus is being revealed. His being manifested as we submit ourselves to shepherding, as we shepherd in the care that Christ is, he is revealed among us to one another in the midst of one another, but also to a lost and dying world that looks and says, wow, your church really cares for you. If I can have the band come back up, please. We want to seek the reward of Christ in our midst. We want to preach to make Christ known corporately. We want to counsel to make him known individually in our hearts. We want to love God's people to make Christ known inwardly and seen outwardly. Direct outflow of that. All because of our chief shepherd. If you'd stand with me. To bring this to a point of conclusion for us. To a point of what do I do with this? We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to, to work on us as we're exalting our chief shepherd. And with this question, what is your posture toward your shepherds? And are you too willing, eager, and desirous to be examples to the flock that God has placed you in? Understanding that in, in our desires, every single one of us has a desire to rule ourselves, to call the shots to make the choices, the decisions that we want. We all can be tempted with an, uh, an attitude of submitting on the outside, but not on the inside. 
right, I'm doing this because you told me, but I don't like it. Or we could be interested even in the flock of God for selfish gain, for, for feeding off a of reputation, feeding off of what others, others think about it. We can be domineering as sheep toward one another. It's domineering. Not looking to be an example, but looking to correct and correct and correct. Let us all submit and obey to the chief shepherd. I would ask you this humbly. Please pray for us. Please pray for us. Please, some of you remind us that you're praying and those, that is sweet honeycombs to our ears. Please continue to pray. And I know there are, there are a lot of people that would say your participation in this church has been a blessing when it comes to shepherding and oversight. We're thankful for that. But we also know that there are people that would kind of have a hard time now, whether from, a, from a, some previous experience that has kind of tweaked you in a way that you're saying, you know, it could have been another church situation where there's a reluctance to really step forward and make yourself known as a part of a flock and, and to make yourself known to the shepherds. I was praying last night and I believe you came to mind, the Lord put you to my mind with this distinct phrase that you have a past of being hurt by domineering oversight but God wants you to know it was not punishment for past sin. God wants you to feel his sovereign love and care for you through his son, Jesus, for your well-being. Lord, we want you to be exalted right now. We ask that you would, Jesus, be highlighted as our chief shepherd. We want to feel you gather us in your arms and hold us in your bosom and tend to us gently, patiently, and carefully. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for shedding your blood to bring us into your flock. Empower us to submit and obey you above all else.
gave your own life. You gave your own life for my ransom. So I could rejoice at your side. You've shown your faithfulness again. And yes, you have, Lord. There's nothing
Thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for building fences to protect us. Thank you for comforting us with your rod. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for being faithful to us. Lord, we shall not want. We have no need of want. In your name we pray.